Is there one thing that stands out from writing this book that changed an opinion you had or affected you from in, in terms of what the American Revolution was? I have really come to understand it as being a far more complex animal than you really do learn in public school. John Adams described that maybe a third of the people were loyal to the crown, a third of the people were rebels, and a third of the people were like, could you just stay off my lawn? Hi, I'm Kirsten Marshall, author of Adventure into History. I write the historical fiction series, The Enlightened. The first book is Witness to the Revolution. It has strong elements of fantasy to keep it interesting, and a nice, sweet love story, which may be a little spice down the road. The first book is about a woman from our time who is fighting for survival, alongside a captain in America's Revolutionary War who is hunted by a dark entity that threatens his secret mission and vows to help her find her way home. This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. Kirsten Marshall from Rotterdam Junction, New York, really our neighborhood, uh, joins us. She is author of the historical novel Witness to the Revolution, as she just explained. Uh, you start the novel anyway, or maybe set the novel in Orange County, New York, which is uh, south of us. What, what? Why down there? Well, I was really nervous when I first started writing about history because I didn't feel I had as much. I'm not an expert. I don't have a, a full lifetime of, of study behind me. So I wanted a time in the war I chose spring 1778 because it comes after the Battle of Saratoga when we're at a stalemate with the British crown, but before France and Spain joined the war, which just changes everything. And so I wanted a location, which ended up being Orange County, New York, because there's a lot of skirmishing that was still happening there, but there was nothing major. So it meant I could write fictional encounters and not have people say, but that didn't happen. And through my research, yeah, and through my research, I discovered there actually was a secret mission going on there that made the area really interesting. It sounds like there was, uh, and just looking at Wikipedia, they described the Revolutionary War years in Orange County as being full of intrigue. You never knew who who you could trust. Like, families themselves were divided. Um, and throughout the whole war, it, it depended on where the British were and who was in control of an area. People had to navigate that politically in a way that was sound for themselves. And through Orange County, um, people lost their entire homes as the British either came through and burned the area in the fall of 77, or if they were loyalists, they were driven out by spring of 78. So there was a there was a constant of people. Orange County in modern times, I mean, from the news of today, has been subjected to extreme flooding. Correct? I mean, not that that relates to your topic at all. Have you have you been down there and seen what's happened? I have not had a chance to go down and see it, um, but it, it did strike a chord with me because I have been there so many times. Because my characters um, do spend so much time there. Um, yeah, they're talking about over $100 million worth of damage and being done to that area. The pictures are horrifying. And just for a little bit of context, I guess it you need a minimum of $36.5 million to receive FEMA relief. So they're they're looking at hopefully some help. But I've, I've been there several times to walk the grounds where my characters are just to understand the terrain of Orange County, to research some of the historical sites. I've been to the real-life home of Samuel Brewster, who is a minor character in my book, and Fans of the TV show Turn Washington Spies might remember Caleb Brewster and his family. They're related. It's the same family. 
And so his home still stands in Orange County. He's one of the founding members of New Windsor. And it was a steakhouse up until 2020. But, but getting back maybe to some of the things you, you talk about in the, in the novel, uh, George Washington himself seemed to be, well, interested, or maybe because he had to be, uh, with spies. He had his own spy network, didn't he? He did. He did have his own spy work, um, the Culper Spy Ring, that is the basis for the novel by Alexander Rose, which became the basis for the show, um, Turn Washington Spy. And in fact, an early encounter that he had in Orange County was he was friends with a gentleman named David Sands. And while he was staying at the Sands' home, um, they got winds that, that some of the loyalists knew he was there and they were coming to bring in, um, I think they had regulars with them, they were going to kidnap George Washington. And so word got to him soon enough, they were able to make their escape. You mentioned that there are fantasy elements in the book. Uh, and, and are you referring to time travel? I believe you, you do time travel in this book or your main character does. Um, there, there is a little more to just the time travel because there, there is this sort of dark, we're not sure, the, the first person narrator, Savvy, isn't sure what it is, but there, there's something going on um, that she, she comes across. But yes, there is a, a time travel element. As I said, she is a woman from our time. Um, I wrote that in because, again, I was really nervous about the history, not wanting to be told I was wrong. And I found that by having a first person narrator who is out of time, who hates history, but had a dad who was a history professor obsessed with the Revolutionary War, it was okay if I, as the author, was wrong, because I could just say, well, it was my narrator, she just, <laughs> she just misinterpreted it. Well, I mean, <laughs> it, it. Has anybody found anything wrong? I don't think they have, no, probably. Knock on wood, no, not yet. Um, I, I also ease my way into this series. Like It's really focused on the characters to begin with, and just really focusing on the people aspect. Um, but I I also update my website regularly with research because, of course, there's, there's no one true answer to anything. Like, um, for example, the, the Molly Pitchers, the women who helped out, of, out on the battlefield, um, they weren't maybe called Molly Pitchers at the time of the war. That might have come later. So I put the history in, have the narrator explain what a Molly picture is, but on my website I, I do a little more of a deep dive. And the same okay. thing is true with one of the historical characters. There's questions about whether he was a turncoat or not. Yeah, I, I think I had maybe grasped what a Molly picture is, but what was a Molly picture? A Molly picture was an historical character, wasn't she? She was sort of like the, um, the donut dollies of the 20th, 20th century, any woman who was out on the battlefield bringing water to the soldiers, cooling down the cannons, helping the men in that way, would be labeled a, a, a Molly pitcher. Your protagonist is a Savannah Moore, is the, the person that comes from our time and goes back to, to that time. Uh, she encounters Captain Jonathan Wythe. Is that how you say his name? It's pronounced with, actually. What happens to the two of them? So, like you said, they're fictional characters. Jonathan Wyth is named in honor of a real founding father, George Wyth. And so they are based, um, for me, on a dream that I had that ended up becoming chapter two. Um, it just, I, I wanted to know what happened to them. I woke up too soon and didn't see what happened to them. So um, it's an idea that just kind of percolated for years. I had no intention of writing a novel. And then one day I, I said, you know, I wonder if I can. And 
I realized I had their story in my head. So that's why so much of the book to start with is is about them, about people trying to navigate this unsettled period in American history. And she is, of course, from our time, so she's constantly concerned about accidentally changing history through her actions. And that is where the title from the book comes from. It comes from that conundrum of should she get involved and try to help the people around her or does she need to just stand back as a silent witness to the revolution? You're quoted by Amira Ditch, my uh, colleague from the Daily Gazette, as saying, you used to hate history. You were explaining how Savannah (laughs) Moore hated history. But what changed it around for you? Oh, I hated history. (laughs) I grew up in an era where you sat at a desk and you took notes from a chalkboard of dates and names. And that's like the worst way to learn history because you need to experience it. And so for me, when I as an adult became a museum educator and I started leading these historical programs and I started to see that it's not about the names and the dates, it's about the people. There are real people and stories and struggles and hopes and dreams behind all of that. That's when I came to really see research as detective work. And it became a love project for me. History is a kind of detective work. You like to uncover things. Yeah, absolutely. You researched a historical figure named George Wythe. Uh, yeah. Is he related, at least as far as your book is concerned, to Jonathan Wythe? Yes, I definitely, because I um, had named the character Jonathan Wythe in honor of the real man, George Wythe. I, I said he was an unspecified distant cousin <laughs> of George Wythe. Um, as I mentioned, he's one of our founding fathers. He, uh, he was actually poisoned by a family member later in his life and died in 1806. But he, um, uh, in 1775, when George Washington was named the commander-in-chief of the Continental Army, he took um, George Washington's seat in Congress. And so he was one of our first Congress members. Thomas Jefferson was a student of his, later became a law associate. They were lifelong friends. So George Wythe's teachings were actually influential on Jefferson and probably the Declaration of Independence. Let me ask you more about your protagonist, Savannah Moore. Uh, mm-hmm. She is a, is a lawyer. Why did you choose that profession for her? When I first sort of came up with the idea of um, these characters, I always thought she was a surgeon. And so, as I said before, I wasn't planning on writing a novel. And then this thing, I don't know if you've heard of it, called Outlander became really big through TV. So by the time I decided to write these books, I realized, oh, my God, that sounds too much like Outlander. I'm not writing Outlander. So I needed a profession that 17th, 18th century men, excuse me, could understand and uh, respect. But it had to be something that was not going to prevent me from exploring themes of trauma survival, which was which is important to me. It's something I'm going to look at through this book. I've taken a little training on. And so I landed on attorney. I've read a couple of time travel novels. And one of the issues is, well, Savannah Moore, for example, being inserted into the 1700s might change things. Have you tried to avoid and, and change things up to the present day. Do you try to avoid that or is that or or not? She is constantly concerned with that. And her biggest problem at the the front of the story is that in her very first few minutes, she she ends up having to defend her own life and kill soldiers. 
as part of that encounter. And so it, it haunts her. It, through the series, it haunts her because one of the, the first soldiers she kills is um, really not much older. He's a teenager in the book. He's just a, a young man who's enlisted. And it, it really sticks with her. So she's got this double worry going on of, of um, you know, not just that she's killed someone, but also, you know, what does this do to the timeline? Is it going to prevent her from being able to get home to her own five-year-old son, to her family, to her own place in the universe? Now, in the novel, it does, does Savannah go back and forth between modern times and the the 1700s, or she just stays in the 1700s? She's stuck, and she doesn't know how she got there. There's there's not an explanation given to the reader as to exactly what happens. She's walking um, beside a grave in the beginning of Chapter 2. She feels something unseen rush her, and then that's it. She is stuck in the middle of a, a skirmish fighting for her life. So by um, that is the big struggle through the series. It's a five-part series. Is is getting home. This is your first book in that series. Is this your first book? It is. It is my first book. And I get the impression that one of your inspirations of, for doing this was your membership in the DAR, the Daughters of the American Revolution. Did did that push you on in? Uh, doing a historical novel specifically about the events of the American Revolution? Ironically, it's actually the other way around. Um, I My father does a lot of genealogies, so he had uh, fed to me um, different members of our family through history who founded the Capital Region, who fought in the American Revolutionary War. So when I was still in the early process of... Um, putting this out there to look for a publisher, I came across an advertisement for the Schenectada chapter. And I was like, oh, that would be so much fun. So I, I joined. They've been wonderful. They're so supportive. They were at my book launch party. Um, they're reading my book as, as part of the book club. Um, and they, they are kind of pushing me, though, to, to write a nonfiction so that it can be considered at, at DAR National um, for, for maybe a little recognition that way. And actually, I did want to share a little bit about my Patriot, if that's okay. Mm -hmm. His name is Daniel Grauberger. He was mm -hmm. born in Fishkill, New York, so across the river from Orange County. But he was a member of the Albany County Militia 6th Regiment under Colonel Stephen John Schuyler. Um, so he, he was called up and fought at places like Ticonderoga when it fell in 77. Um, my family actually has copies of his payrolls from then. And he is the he's the gentleman through whom I have membership with the DAR. We're talking with uh, Kirsten Marcel from uh, Rotterdam Junction, New York, author of the historical novel Witness to the Revolution. You've addressed this somewhat, but you have chosen the setting of your book away from here. But our here, you know, Rotterdam Junction, uh, the Mohawk Valley, Saratoga, we're we're, we're big. Of parts of the American Revolution. Why didn't you deal with that? You, it would seem to me you'd have a, a head start on the history of our region as opposed uh, to a new place. Again, I chose the setting because by 77, you know, Saratoga had, had kind of decided this area. And not, it's not that there wasn't still stuff happening and probably even local 
issues happening. Um, but where I chose um, 78, I know they recalled Colonel John Greeton. He was the commanding officer of Albany. They were building gunboats. But the focus had really kind of moved downriver at that point. Um, the no man's land, of course, was Westchester between British-held uh, New York City and then colonial-held, continental-held up north. So I I, I really did want a setting that was a little further down, but I definitely still give um, mention to some of the major players like General Schuyler gets a mention, the fall of Ticonderoga gets a mention, um, Saratoga, Albany. Those, they're still all simmering in the background of, of my story. And I think my uh, friends, for example, the Fort Plain Museum, who put on uh, their annual American Revolution conference, um, might question this because they have been beating the drum that the war just didn't end here. I mean, it, it just kept going and going and and going, and it became more of a more of a civil war between uh, the the rebel settlers and the escaped loyalists and uh, the escaped uh, Indian nations such as the Mohawks. Right. You, you know what? And you're right. And I'm not giving them fair shake. You're right. We think so much of the, the main part of the Continental Army and where they were moving in their focus. But that's true. In fact, um, in 79, I remember there was a mission sent up to to um, wipe out an entire Native American um, mm. clan because they were taking revenge for action that was taken of a white woman that was scalped and killed. And it, you're right, it was a, a constant battle between um, local people. I gather that it, it's a love interest that develops between your time traveler and Jonathan With How's that go? There is some definite chemistry there between the two of them. It is hallmark sweet. They, they don't even kiss. There's nothing like that because there's just so much there's so many aspects keeping them apart, one of which, of course, is Savvy knows where she's from. He has not a clue. Um, so she's got that constant draw of having to get back to her own five-year-old son and not abandoning her family there. And there's also just this sort of bad air surrounding Jonathan. He's suspected of being a British spy. There's something that's just not quite right about him that Savvy is aware of. So there, there's many reasons why, despite this strong chemistry, it's just it hasn't happened yet, but it, it really wants to. It will happen, but there are going to be several books. What, five books you're intending on this uh, series? Yes. Second book has already turned into my publisher. I'm just waiting for that final yes, and I've started writing book three. Four and five are already mapped out, so I know that the first three books will stay in Orange County, New York. Um, the fourth one's going to move us from Philadelphia through New Jersey, and I finally will hit a big battle of the war. I'm going to take on my courage and, and hit that big one. And then the final mm -hmm. book's going to skip ahead to 1780, 1781. There's a, a secret mission that I didn't know about until you know I really started digging in, and it's really caught my interest. So I don't know where in America it'll take us, but we're going places. <laughs> and I believe you say you want to draw attention not to the big names that we always hear about, you know, George Washington, uh, Benedict Arnold, whoever, but to the more ordinary people in the revolution. Is, is that so? That's correct. Um, one of the great services Lin-Manuel Miranda did for us in bringing us Hamilton was not just bringing us a great musical, but it puts so many big names back in the spotlight 
like we remember now who the Marquis de Lafayette is. He's not just a random street sign name and, you know, um, John Lawrence and his father, Henry Lawrence in Congress. And so I want to breathe some life back into the everyday people who struggle through the war and give them a chance to focus on some of those lower officers and the privates who actually did the starving, the bleeding and the fighting for our country. And so I am digging into as many primary sources as I can get my hands on. And even if all I can do is take a name from a roster role or a payroll and put them on a character, at least I want to try to tell those stories again and and help us remember it was not an easy thing. Kirsten Marshall uh, joins us, author of the historical novel, Witness to the Revolution. We talked earlier, and maybe I should have brought it up then, about your involvement with the DAR. Who was Margarita Van Slichtenhorst? Yep, I was talking about her with um, the Gazette a little bit. She is, I kind of misremembered who she is. So everybody knows from Hamilton, the Schuyler sisters. Their father is General Philip Schuyler. And I thought it was his grandparents. It's actually another two generations beyond. But Philip Schuyler, that Philip Schuyler, and his wife, Margarita Van Schlichtenhorst, they are founders from our area. They are one of my ancestors. You had a book launch event at the Schenectady County Historical Society at the Maybe Farm in Rotterdam Junction earlier this summer. And the Daily Gazette coverage of that event really spoke to me as a person who has tried to sell books to the public and that you sold all your books. You actually ran out of books to sell? I I did. I thought I was being overly ambitious with what I brought because I, we had an RSVP count. I knew a lot of people told me that they were coming. I figured, well, they have my book. I don't need to bring that many. And um, I still, <laughs> I brought a ton and still sold out. It was wonderful. So where do you go from here in terms of uh, marketing this book? So this book um, will always kind of be the focus. That's one of the joys of writing a series is even when the future books come out, this one will always get the conversation for people who have never heard it. So um, I have a couple of different book festivals I'm doing locally. I will be in Boston speaking at History Camp and will bring my book there and, and any other events I can find that would be interested. You mentioned Fort Plain. I was there last Christmas um, just sort of building excitement and handing out bookmarks and telling people. What is next? I mean, what's you, you say you, you're working on another book. In fact, you've got it practically done from what you were, were saying? It's, yeah, it's, my publisher has a second book. So I actually, um, because again, I was so new, I had never written before. I was nervous about the history. I wrote book one and I, I saw how big it was. And I said, you know, I should probably figure out what the standards industry standards are for writing and I realized I had a book and a half (laughs) so I had to go back and wrap the first book and and figure out where does the mission end at that point so then I finished writing book two started writing book three there's a local author that was nice enough to sit down with me and and chat with me and he said you know what you need to make sure you can sell book one you got to stop writing and sell book one so by the time I had a publisher with um, book one, I was already editing book two um, on my own. So they they have it, it's done, and it's really just a matter of getting back to book three and finishing writing that. 
I know that at your uh, book party uh, that the newspaper covered, your husband was involved in reading questions or something from, or passages from the book. How have you worked your book writing, book printing, and so forth into family life? So I was really surprised when I came into the industry because I thought walking through Barnes & Noble, you look at all those books, you think, oh, that lovely image we all have of people sitting at their typewriters lakeside having a great literary life. And no, almost, you know, 90% at least are like me. You, you write when you can. For me, I, you know, I work the day job, I come home, I have dinner, and then 8 p.m. is my writing time. I lock myself into my office and get done what I can until I'm too tired or I look at the clock and say, you know what, I'm going to be sorry if I don't go to bed now. And you just chip away at it a couple hours at night. Is there one thing that stands out from writing this book that, uh, I don't know, changed an opinion you had or affected you from in, in terms of what the American Revolution was? I have really come to understand it as being a far more complex animal than uh, you really do learn in public school. Because the, the, John Adams described that maybe a third of the people were loyal to the crown, a third of the people were rebels, and a third of the people were like, could you just stay off my lawn? That is such an oversimplification of the war. There's this great book called Occupied America that focuses on five of the cities that at some point were occupied by the, the crown and the British army, and just how hard it must have been for people to, that kind of alluded to earlier, just navigating that because if you were too loyal to the crown and then in comes the Continental Army, you were going to lose your property. You might even lose your life depending on how supportive you were of the crown and vice versa. And it really, as people say, it really was our first civil war because it really tore apart families and tore apart communities. And that gray area, that sort of fluid gray area of, of moving politically and trying to survive that time period, that really impressed me in a way that I had never understood before. I asked uh, Kirsten to give us a question from the Revolutionary War that we could use on the history mystery. And here's, well, here's Dave Green uh, with uh, today's Revolutionary War trivia question. Now, the Conway Cabal began in roughly the fall of 1777, wrapped in the spring of 1778, to get all, all of our dates or ducks in a row. It was a political push and behind-the-scenes plot to try to replace George Washington yeah. as, as the commander-in-chief of the Continental Army, who, to get to the question... Who was the leading contender to replace George Washington? We'll have that answer in just a moment. You may donate online to help support the Historian's Podcast. Go to our website, bobcudmore.com. Look for a blue bar. Hit that blue bar, and it'll take you to our GoFundMe campaign, where you can donate electronically online. Or you can send a check made out to Bob Cudmore to 125 Horseman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. You may give anonymously, 
and no contribution is too large or too small. Well, it turns out, uh, Dave, that the person that the cabal wanted to install as the commander-in-chief was Horatio Gates. And Horatio Gates was the uh, man who was the uh, general who accepted the sword of Johnny Burgoyne at the Battle of Saratoga. So that's that story. Kirsten Marcel from Rotterdam Junction, New York, has joined us, author of the historical novel Witness to the Revolution. You've been listening to The Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. Thank you for listening to The Historian's Podcast. I do want to point out to you that we're getting close to a big milestone in this history series. We are going to have our 500th episode before the end of the year. I hope you'll stay tuned for that. The Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore.